This podcast is brought to you by Byron Belitzos, the author of a new book entitled Your Evolving Soul, The Cosmic Spirituality of the Urantia Revelation. Please listen to podcast number 635 to learn more about Your Evolving Soul. In Greg's interview with Byron, they discuss what the Urantia Books Foundation is based upon, as well as the fact that the Urantia Book provides a revolutionary new depiction of the human soul, the afterlife, and the nature of deity that is commensurate with the needs of our time. Byron helps the reader to unravel this deep and thought-provoking text in his new book, Your Evolving Soul. Please listen to Greg's fascinating interview with the author and expert on the Urantia book, Byron Belitzos, by listening to podcast number 435. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners, Mary, as I do, oh, time and time and time again, Uh, Without them, there would be no inside personal growth. Uh, I don't know how I've done this for almost 11 years, but uh, people keep keeping coming back and listening. So that's what keeps me on the air. Um, Today, joining me from Marin, which is just a little bit north of San Francisco, I have Mary Lamna. How do you say your last name? I don't want to mess it up, Mary. Lamia. Lamia. So Mary Lamia is the author of many books, but the book we're going to be speaking with her about is called What Motivates Getting Things Done, Procrastination, Emotions, and Success. And I think all of us out there know, Mary, that, oh, yes, we have these things. We just don't know how they work and how they actually affect us in in getting things done. But uh, I want to tell them a little bit about you. Uh, Mary Lamia, PhD, is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst, as well as professor at the Wright Institute in Berkeley, whose passion is to encourage emotional awareness. She is the author of Emotional Making Sense of Your Feelings and Understanding Myself, A Kid's Guide to Intense Emotions and Strong Feelings, both of which won Family Choice Awards. She's also co-authored The White Knight Syndrome, Rescuing Rescuing Yourself from Your Need to Rescue Others. I know somebody who needs that. And forthcoming book, the Upside of Shame. Um, she's a sought-after speaker, has provided commentary for media, including ABC Radio, Television, Fox Network, and the News, New York Times, Woman's Day, WebMD, and Real Simple, as well as regular blogs on Psychology Today and Therapy Today. Well, you've got quite a background, Mary, and I think the best way to kind of dive into this is because, you know, it is about motivation, Um and what inspires us to get things done. And you mentioned that we are motivated to and even driven to achieve. And I I totally agree with that. Almost everybody out there is. Why is it that more it's more powerful in some people and not so powerful in others? The drive to achieve? Yes, this drive to achieve. Because some people don't have as as big a drive or as intense a drive. Well, first of all, you have to know something about negative and positive emotions. And and so I'm going to circle back, if you don't mind. So we have this motivational system where some emotions feel positive or rewarding and some feel negative or punishing. So classifying emotions as positive or negative doesn't have anything to do with their value, even though people think it does. And that's probably from the psychology movement up positive psychology movement where people uh, grabbed onto that thinking that we should 
try to feel positive emotions at all times and that positive emotions motivate us. But really the positive psychology movement is about resilience. It's not about necessarily feeling positive emotions all the time. So negative emotions like distress and fear and disgust and anger and shame, especially shame, motivate us to do something to avoid experiencing them or they urge us to behave in ways that will relieve their effects because we we just want to stop them. So, for example, you'll be motivated to back off from something where you feel fear if it's a dangerous situation or even brush your teeth before you go on a date because you don't want to have shame due to bad breath. Just simple things like that. Essentially, human beings are motivated to do something based on their desire to turn on emotions that are positive or to turn off the negative ones. It's just a fundamental principle of how we function emotionally. So, that said, why are some people highly, highly motivated to do things or to achieve and some not? Well, there's one emotion that um, we have found among people who are really, really high achievers that gets activated. And I haven't talked about this much. I mentioned it in the book, though. And that is shame and shame avoidance. It's so interesting that that uh, people have four basic responses to shame. They withdraw, like pull the covers over their head. They avoid. They could... Um, have a few drinks when they feel shame. Uh, they could attack others or they could attack themselves. The most important thing to know about shame and the adaptive response to shame is to learn. Highly successful people learn from shame, but highly successful people are also shame avoidant. So the accumulation of, of um good deeds, the accumulation of accomplishment or goods, whether it's a car or clothes or whatever it is, is often shame avoidance. Mm-hmm. And, well, it and, certainly gives us and the listeners a, a foundation in which you're coming from with this emotion. And, and people, you, people who ha- often have had very difficult childhoods where they've mm-hmm. had to struggle often feel yes. a, have a core of shame that's handled by avoidance. Um, narcissistic leaders often have a core of shame handled by avoidance. And becoming a leader, becoming the best, uh, working really hard and achieving, this is not a bad thing. Shame avoidance is not, I'm not saying it's a bad I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. In fact, it could be a very good thing. So that's one way in which people use negative emotion in a very positive way. Some people have a lot of shame, but rather than use an adaptive means in order to counter it, like success, some people run away and just keep getting defeated. And they're, right. they're not and, able to get through it. And you mentioned in the book that when fear, distress, and shame arise together, 
that it leads to a fear of failure. Can you explain why, why these powerful emotions drive us to this fear of failure? Sure. Um, when fear and or distress and, and shame arise together, it produces shame anxiety. And the cognition associated with shame anxiety, the thought is, I'm going to fail. It's a fear of failure. That's how people describe it, it's a fear of failure. But they're actually feeling shame anxiety. And, and shame anxiety motivates us because we don't want to feel shame. We want to get away from feeling shame. So it actually propels us into action to get something done because we don't want to fail. Think of a little kid who, who doesn't want to do their homework, and he does his homework because the idea of the shame of being told you didn't do your homework and standing out in class is so awful that he gets it done. We get a lot of things done out of the avoidance of shame or out of shame anxiety, the anticipation that somebody will perceive us negatively makes us do something good. It's sort of well, fascinating it's, how emotions that might be perceived as negative. Yeah, and it, are it actually doesn't seem counterintuitive. I mean, it, it seems very intuitive that, you know, shame would drive us to actually um, excel at something. Now, you also talk a lot about task-driven people and procrastinators in, in the book. Can you speak with the listeners about the emotions that drive procrastinators versus task-driven people and and really what what's the differences between these two i know there's certain things that i procrastinate mary and then there's other things that i'm real task driven on and it's so because kind of those things in terms of your style correct correct so well, what i found was that the different timing, task completion timing of highly successful people who are procrastinators and non-procrastinators has to do with when their emotions are activated and what activates them. They have the same emotions, but it's when those emotions are activated and what activates them. Procrastinators who consistently complete tasks on time, my successful group, even if it's at the last moment, they still get it done. They're motivated by emotions that are activated when a deadline is imminent. When a deadline is looming, their emotions come up, they're highly activated, and they get things done at those times. They're deadline-driven. I like to call them deadline-driven procrastinators or deadline-driven people to get away from the stigma about procrastination because I see procrastination as a valid motivational style, but we can get back to that. Um, in contrast to procrastinators, task-driven people, when they're faced with uncompleted tasks, they feel compelled to take action right away. They see something that needs to be done, and they want to get it done and get it off their plate. They don't want to think about it. They're afraid they're going to forget, and they just want to do it. They're motivated by emotions to complete a task uh, ahead of schedule because uh, their emotions are activated by the task itself. Procrastinators don't get activated by the task itself for the most part, if we think about the extremes. They're activated by deadlines. Mm -hmm. Or by and false deadlines they create. But missing a deadline or failing to do the work adequately is a problem that 
actually has little to do with procrastination. People will say, I failed because I procrastinated, but the fact is, failure produces so much shame, and people who fail have so much shame, that saying they're procrastinators is shame avoidance. And, and you know what? Shame motivates us to save face, and people who fail really need to save face. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I noted in the book was this, you talked about distraction and how distraction plays a role in both procrastinators and track, task-driven people. Um, speak with the listeners about distraction and the role it plays, no matter whether we're task-driven or a procrastinator. It's sort of fascinating. Procrastinators beat themselves up all the time for being distracted. And task-driven people don't realize how distracted they are. When when a procrastinator is activated as at a deadline, when they're it, it's usually a feeling of anxiety that comes up for them, some fear and distress, plus a lot of other things. It could be excitement where they feel in the zone, or it, it could be disgust about themselves. Whatever it is, a lot of anxiety comes up at a deadline, and when they're, they are activated, when their emotions are activated, they don't necessarily immediately attend to the task at hand, especially if they have a little bit of extra time. What happens is that their anxiety is mobilized and they notice all the things they haven't done or all the things they want to do. So they might place their anxiety in the context of, I've got to do all of those dishes, or I've got to clean up my my place, or I've got to clean this closet that I haven't attended to, or I've got to pay all these bills, or I've got to watch this video. They may do all kinds of things, but then when time is short, they do attend to the task at hand, and they get it done before the deadline. Task-driven people are distracted all the time by tasks that are left undone. Uh, an example is a, a CEO who told me that she, when she walks into her house, she can't help but notice all these little things that really need to be done in her mind. She knows they don't need to be done. Like, it's okay if something was left out on the counter. It's okay if things are a little bit disheveled. But she has to do them. She feels compelled to do them because tasks activate her emotion and emotion makes us pay attention. Emotions are designed to make us pay attention. They're they're wonderful sources of information and attention. So she gets distracted by all of these tasks that have to be done. And she just wished she could walk into the house, sit down with her family, and relax. Which her uh. procrastinating husband could do. But she can't. <laughs> well... And it leads me to a really good question here, which is really around um, anxiety. And you state that in the context of getting things done, that ex- that anxiety is our friend. Um, why is that so? And is is this a good thing to be having this anxiety? Anxiety is our friend. And people think that they need to get rid of their anxiety or medicate it or drink it away or do something about it. But really, anxiety is our friend because anxiety really pulls your attention 
into something. If you're anxious about something, you're attending to it. People stay up all night being anxious about something and paying attention to it. And they don't realize that their anxiety is telling them to pay attention because, you know, emotion is so nonspecific. And, and anxiety itself is, is sort of a, it's a very unspecific emotion. We give it the cognitions that uh, lead us to believe it means something that it may or may not mean. But um, anxiety is an octane for our motivation, I think. So anxiety itself is not a core emotion as we think of biologically based emotions. Anxiety itself is a blending of emotions that produce a particular uh, emotional response. We mentioned, um, you know, fear and or distress and shame producing shame anxiety. Well, you know, when distress and fear are activated together, it produces agitation or annoyance or tension. When people say they feel stressed out, those are the emotions they're feeling. And for procrastinators, it's sort of a highly intense, time-limited experience. But for task-driven people, it's pretty much continuous because so many uncompleted tasks garner their attention. Uh, some researchers have tried to say that procrastinators have more stress because they experience this intense emotion at a deadline. Mm -hmm. But they didn't take into account the task-driven people. Nobody I know has studied task-driven people who whose attention is drawn to uncompleted tasks all day long. So who's more stressed out? I mean... I think task-driven people are from what I've I've seen, yeah. But it, but it stress doesn't really hurt people either either way. I mean, stress really only hurts you if you believe it is harmful and you become more distressed by the stress. And according to research, uh, the belief that stress is harmful is what's harmful because it amplifies the stress. Yeah. A lot of people well, have anxiety. I'm sorry. That's okay. You know, you, we, we go back to this part about fear, distress, and the commingling you, you talk about in the book that also activate commingling with the emotion of excitement. And then you go on to say that when this occurs, you may feel aroused, stimulated in the zone. Why does this arousal motivate us to get things done? Because you're talking about fear and distress you know, being activated, okay. commingling with the creating excitement. And what is that factor that's actually saying, hey, I'm super excited now. I want to get something done. Well, it's in the process of getting something done, too, or seeing for a task-driven person, seeing it. Uh, it's the, the, the stimulus for such arousal for task-driven people is the completion of a lot of tasks at once. They feel like, wow, I got so many things done. They really feel in the zone. For procrastinator, the sensations are experienced in getting things done under time pressure, and a lot of them describe it as being in the zone and feeling very aroused and feeling hyper-focused. And you could drive a truck through the room, said one procrastinator to me, and he wouldn't you know, realize it because he's so focused on the task during that time. The blending of excitement with fear makes you feel so positive and negative at the same time. And 
and maybe putting it in a different context than getting getting things done would help. It's, we experience it, for example, when you uh, when we anticipate seeing somebody who's a potential romantic interest. You feel fear, but you also feel excitement, and it motivates you to do all kinds of things, to look your best, to feel your best, to smile, um, but it also makes brings up memories of, well, what happened in your previous relationships and how is it going to play out here? Because every time we feel an emotion, every time um, an emotion gets activated by some stimulus in our environment, it instantaneously taps into every single time we felt similarly, our warehouse of emotional memories that are buried in our brain. And it our brain instantly scans all of our emotional memories to provide us with information. So that's why people get involved in a relationship, a new relationship, and if they've had a lot of lousy relationships, they start thinking, oh, I'm triggered, you know, this this what what this person said triggered all of my memories of this past lousy relationship I had where I was so hurt and I'm afraid it's going to happen again or they get involved with somebody and they they think it's that person's going to cheat on them because their last two relationships did all kinds of things happen your emotions are trying to inform you so they may make you more anxious about it than excited Interesting how that actually occurs, and it it was a kind of an interesting area of the book that I was reading in, and I really was fascinated about that whole part where you're being aroused and excited to get something done uh, because you're achieving a lot, like you said. Yes. Now you state it. that successful it feel good people when you're in the middle of something and you feel like you're really accomplishing oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And, and you feel it, wonderful. You feel so hyper focused and aroused, and yet. Yeah. It's it's a it's still anxiety. You're being stimulated by anxiety and anxiety just propels you forward when it's linked, you know, when part of it is colored by excitement. It's the greatest feeling. So you have a part in the book around excellence and you state that successful people want to do things well. Um, So what motivates people to pursue excellence in what they do from your estimation and your studies? You know, so much of the pursuit of excellence is, that's the chapter where I have a lot about shame avoidance. Perfectionism, for example, and and wanting to do things perfectly. You know, a lot of highly successful people describe themselves as perfectionistic, and they are. And a lot of it is the avoidance of shame. Uh, And again, Having shame is not a bad thing. Uh, People who tend to self-supervise a lot or to experience regret that they could have done something better tend to have a lot of shame in their core, and that motivates them to achieve greater things. It's, It's an amazing motivational force. If people use it right, for example, you could have regret about something and then just beat yourself up, and that would be an attack of the self. Or you could have regret and think about how you could have done it better and do it better next time without beating yourself up. Shame helps you look 
deep inside yourself and and really examine yourself and your behavior and how you can do it differently. And we could learn so much from it. Shame is the greatest teacher. Well, and like you said, when we first started this podcast, that this was going to be a different twist on getting things done. And I think for most of my listeners, they're experiencing that. One last question here to kind of wrap up our podcast, Mary. You, you talk in one of the last chapters about upgrading our emotional style. What is this? Uh, how do we do it? And also, how do we find out what style we really are? Right. I think most people know whether or not they work better under pressure or uh, get things done right away. But the chapter in in the book I have on deadlines and deliberation and distraction and all of that is is a chapter where I, I put that in so that readers can identify with one style or the other or both and and pretty much assess where they are in terms of their motivational style. So it is important to know what your motivational style is. And as I and, and as I say in the book, I don't want to change anyone. I don't think people need to change their motivational style. And in fact, I think it's impossible. How many books have been written about beating procrastination and how many procrastinators are there? The current Statistics in the Ivy League schools, the Ivy League schools have the highest number of procrastinators. They're up to almost 90%. And those people aren't failing. So what's going on? Why would they want to change if it works for them? They wouldn't. So procrastination books sell, but nobody changes. So it's interesting. But sometimes they become a little better at, at what they do. My goal is to help people optimize the style they already have. And there are ways to optimize what you do and to upgrade it. You know, uh, so what I did is I took all the little tips I got from the high, high achievers I studied and I put them down. You know, I, I just wrote them down. This is what they do to make their style really, really work for them. And those I shared. So you don't have to change your style. You could just become better at it. And what are a few of those, Mary, as we wrap up here that you observed in these people who are higher achievers, who got things done that would leave our listeners with say, hey, if I want to upgrade my emotional style, what might some of those upgrades be? Uh, the gen- I have general guidelines. I have uh, troubleshooting guidelines for deadline-driven people, and I have some for task-driven people. The the one that I that I think is really important for both styles is that you never allow yourself anything less than healthy sleep habits, and you've got to make a commitment to yourself if you're deadline-driven that that your sleep time is not extra time, and if you're task-driven that you have to make a promise to yourself that you can put things aside to get the sleep you need. People need sleep, and sleep is healthy for your brain functioning. Um, in terms of of people who procrastinate, one of the one of the suggestions is to uh, request a deadline in circumstances that don't have a definite one, 
or to somehow uh, you can use another person to do that too. You could tell another person whose perception of you is important to you uh, what your deadline is for a particular project or thing you have to do and then, you know, commit to that. Um, never to take seriously your thoughts of extending a deadline. Don't spend too much time on that because highly su successful deadline-driven procrastinators never extend deadlines or withdraw from a project. They get it done. They might entertain it, but they get it done. Um, people set timers to certain intervals and challenge themselves. One of the things they do is uh, if you have an appointment, let's say you have an, a doctor's appointment at 3 o'clock, you, you see how much you can get done between now and when you leave for that appointment. You use other appointments for, uh, as, a, as a deadline, or you interject other activities in between the time, you know, the task and uh, the deadline so that you limit the time available to complete it. There's a lot of little tricks that you can use to create a false deadline that you can't change. Yeah, and I think you've got a lot of them in the book. Now, where would you like to send our listeners, uh, Mary, if they were going to want to find out more about you, about the book? Obviously, they can get this book on Amazon. Again, for my listeners, it will be in the blog. We'll have a link to uh, Amazon for the book. It's called What Motivates Getting Things Done. And um, Mary, any place else you want to send them? Well, they can go to my website. That's marylamia.com, M-A-R-Y-L-A-M-I-A.com. I also have a website for the book. It's whatmotivatesgettingthingsdone.com. Or they could go to my website and also access all of my Psychology Today blog posts or Therapy Today blog posts. And um, a lot of those have information about procrastination and the book, and they're just little little bits of it. Um, and that's Great. about and it. We'll put, we'll put all of those up there, plus a link to any social media things that we find as well. So from our listeners, um, we have been speak, speaking uh, with Larry, Larry, Mary Lamia, and the book is called What Motivates Getting Things Done, Procrastination, Emotion, and Success. Uh, we're going to put a link to Amazon. We'll have a link to the book website as well um, so that you can go there and read some of the articles and things that Mary has. Mary, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with our listeners actually talking about the emotions behind what drives us to get things done, and what drives procrastinators versus task-driven people. It's been a fascinating time with you. I've actually learned a lot, and I appreciate you taking the time to be on with our listeners. Greg, I appreciate the twist you have and the journey you took me on to explain it. Thank you. 